Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Forty days from the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, he ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father. The heavenly one who descended to earth to tabernacle among us, take on our frame and flesh, ascended back to heaven, now glorified with the Father. He reigns, and of course he reigns, he is God. His ascension and royal enthronement remind us of what was foretold before his birth and fulfilled in his death. That is, that God's triumph is over all of his enemies, including sin and death. But it's good news that he is also man. What is astonishing is that elevated to the right hand of God is now a man, God dwelling with humanity on the heavenly throne. The ascended Jesus is also a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is a new priest of a new and everlasting covenant. And as your priest, as our priest, he is able to relate to our human condition and intercedes for us with our heavenly father. He unites us to himself. He raises us up with him and shares his glorious enthronement as king and priest. And he does so because he loves you. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word uh, to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done, therefore come come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Therefore he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal, until it was all leavened. We'll turn now to Exodus chapter 13, reading verses 3 through 10. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand Yahweh brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are to go forth, And it shall be when Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, 
that you shall observe this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what Yahweh did for, when I came, for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep the ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Now if you would please turn to the back of your bulletin and we'll read together as a congregation Psalm 78 verses 17 through 33. Psalm 78, verse 17. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings, and they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, you are a gracious God to us, and by your grace we have been birthed within your family. And this morning you call us into your holy room because you have a word for us. And we pray that our hearts would be attentive, our minds would be thoughtful, and that your spirit would be at work, and that we might walk away encouraged and blessed because of your word. Bless us as we listen to you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It struck me the other day when we were reading uh, the NBC Congregational Bible reading plan. I know all of you don't do that. That's fine. I hope you're all reading the Bible. But Grace and I uh, assemble around five in the morning 
and uh, we listened to the King James Version of the Bible read by Alexander Scorby, just absolutely sensational. And uh, just going through the Gospels as we are every day, I'm reminded how people are. And I'm assuming how people were back then is still how we are today. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Number one, I have four things I want to do this morning. Number one, I want to encourage you to think. So Jesus healed on Sabbaths. And the Pharisees and the scribes got quite upset. And Jesus would respond, and they couldn't deal with his logic. So, what did they do? Change their mind? Heavens, no. Instead, try to kill him. This morning, we're going to introduce something new to NBC, and I want you to think, think it through, consider it, take it home, mull it over, and uh, then, you know, if you got questions, ask the elders. The second thing I want to remind us of is that when we gather Sunday by Sunday, we are in a covenant renewal meeting. So if you look at the covenants of the Old Testament all the way down into the New Testament, if you look at the covenant of marriage, and covenant is not a term that we're uh, fond on of in evangelical circles today, and we don't tend to use that in our weddings, but a husband-wife relationship is a covenant relationship built off of the covenants from the Bible starting with the covenant uh, with Adam in the early chapters of Genesis going through the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with the people of Israel and the Davidic covenant and so forth all the way down to the new covenant. A covenant renewal has a uh, several features in it. The one that's going to mostly interest us this morning is the fourth feature, which is a covenant meal. So you make a covenant. You've read your Bible. Men make covenants together, and what do they do? They sit down and eat a meal together. So a covenant is uh, God taking hold of his world, and then making some divisions, bringing things together, speaking a word into it, having a meal, giving some signs, and dealing with the succession of the covenant. The meal is what concerns us today. So in the new covenant, when we come together, we are called into God's presence. I still, I still love Hebrews 10. All the elements are there. And we are called into God's presence. And when we come into God's presence, we're on his way, if you can picture it this way in your mind, to his house, he's called us over. 
and he's called us over because he's got a message to give, and he, uh, he has a meal to serve us. He calls us over to his house, and we come, and you know, we've trod along, and we got dirty feet called sin. And so when we're going to come into his house, of course, we confess our sin so that we can go into the presence of the holy God as a corporate body, clean. And then when we come into his presence, he gives us a message that we tend to call a sermon these days. It's a message from the Lord. And each particular local church is getting a message from the Lord through whomever may be teaching that day or speaking that day. We get a word from the Lord. And after the word from the Lord, then we move to the table. And uh, God's told us what he wants to tell us, and now he's going to serve us food. And we're going to sit down with God, not stand, not kneel. We're going to sit with God, and we're going to eat a meal. We're going to be in a relaxed position. This is a family meal. And then after the family meal, of course, we get up and we are dismissed and we're given a benediction to go out into the world and serve the purposes of the king. Turn, if you would, to Song of Solomon, which I wrote on the NBC Congregational Bible. Bible reading list as canticles. The word canticle is a song. And that's what it is. It's the song of Solomon. Canticles. Verse 10 of Song of Solomon, chapter 4. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride, how much better is your love than wine? And the fragrance of your oils than all kinds of spices. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A rock garden locked. A spring uh, sealed up. Your shoots are like an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna with nard plants, henna with nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the, excuse me, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, along with all the finest spices. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water, and streams 
flowing from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come blow, O south wind. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh along with my balsam. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And somebody says, eat friends and imbibe deeply, O lovers. Marriage is a covenant. And the marriage meal is intimacy. See how it's described here as eating and drinking. When we come together on Sunday, we meet with our God, and then we come to a table that he serves up heavenly food on for us to eat. Of course, we recognize it's a piece of bread and it's a cup of wine or a cup of juice. We recognize all that. But it's a meal. So what happens in marriage is husband and wife, they, they have their conflicts. I know some of you have perfect marriages. Mine's not. We have some conflicts. And you've got to solve those conflicts. Like coming to see the Lord and forgiveness is granted. And you talk things through like coming to hear what God has to say. And then you sit down and eat a meal. Or you have intimacy described as eating one another. That's what happens on Sunday. Now, so when we come together, we're doing a covenant renewal. Each time husband and wife have intimacy, they are in covenant renewal. I will be faithful to you alone until death parts us. The husband comes and he calls his wife. He takes her aside. They enjoy each other. They get up and their marriage is renewed. And of course, there's a covenant succession too. It's that baby they made. Laugh a little, it's okay. So, now, when we come to the Lord's table, which in 1 Corinthians 11, it's called the Lord's table. It is the Lord's table. We like having people over, and we like going to people's houses. And uh, sometimes when people come over, they bring 
things. They call Grace up and ask her, what can we bring? And she tells them. Other times she tells them, no, you can't bring anything. We have it all. We got it ready. And people come over and, uh, you know, she sets down on the table what she wants us to eat. And I haven't heard anyone say yet that's come to my house, why, did you, why are you feeding this? I don't want that. I want something different. Well, when we come to the Lord's table, it is the Lord's table. And he serves us what he wants us to eat and drink. Now, I've uh, grown up through some various uh, stages, as all of you have, but now I'm thinking about churches. First, I was born in Billings, Montana, and we listened to reel-to-reel tapes from my dad's church in Portland, Oregon. That was church for us, although my mother went to a church in town. And my dad would fall asleep a few minutes into the reel-to-reel tape, so uh, we messed around after that. Then we moved to Portland, and I went to the Apostolic Faith Pentecostal Church with my dad. My mom went to another church, a Bible church. And this was a small denomination up and down the West Coast, a small denomination, but the churches were not small. The churches were large. In this church, I must have been there from the first grade through something like the third or fourth grade, something like that. In this church, I never, never saw them take the Lord's Supper. I knew nothing about it. I heard a lot of sermons. A lot of sermons about going to heaven and going to hell. But I never heard one thing about the Lord's Supper. Well, then uh, something happened in my house. I don't know what it was. I told you this a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, we started going to church, the kids, with my mother. And my mother's uh, church was a Bible church. It it was large also, especially for that time. It was 1,200 people. And the pastor was Dr. John Mitchell. Some of you may have heard him of him. And he was the president of Multnomah School of the Bible, which was right down the street. And in this Bible church, once a month, the last Sunday of the month, the sermon was cut just a little bit short, and we had the Lord's Supper. And uh, so what was passed was uh, broken up matzo crackers in a tray, and what was passed was grape juice in little cups, the same kind of cups we still use today. And I went there all the way through the end of high school, and I went off to college, and the first two years of college, I didn't go to church at all down there in Southern California because I was the blind boy on campus, and all my other friends didn't go, and I didn't know how to get there, so... There you have it. Then I transferred to Grinnell College in Iowa, where I met my wonderful wife. And I went to a G-A-R-B church, General Association of Regular Baptists. I'm not sure what the irregular Baptists are, but they were the regular Baptists. And it is what you would call a fundamental church. And I went there off and on for two years. Let me see. Yeah, two years. And uh, there wasn't the Lord's Supper. Then I came to seminary and finally landed at Community Bible Chapel. 
And at Community Bible Chapel, we had, uh, we had the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Every Sunday. And we had a little matzo crackers and little things of juice. Then from there, I transitioned to McKinney Bible Church, and I've been here so long now, I can't hardly remember anything else. And at McKinney Bible Church, we had the Lord's Supper every week, but we did it like Believer's Chapel. We met for uh, the sermon and Sunday school on Sunday morning. We came back for the Lord's Supper in Sunday evening. Then we built this building in 1987 and we moved in and we were still doing it the same until one night, one night, in this back room where we had the Lord's Supper, Grace and I were the only two people there. And I said to myself, self, we gots to do something about this. And well, after that, so the Lord's Supper was moved to the morning and, and so here we are. And what we did is we drank little cups of grape juice and we had matzo crackers. And now, where we are now, is we, uh, we have uh, trays that have wine on the outer circle and grape juice on the inner circle. And uh, we don't have matzo crackers. We have a loaf of bread, unleavened bread, that is uh, then cut up into little chunks, particularly since COVID came. And every week, we have the Lord's Supper. Now, all of you could tell your story, and all our stories may be just a little bit different. The question is, what does the Lord want on his table? Well, it would be nice if someone could say, well, look, you've forgotten a little verse in the Bible, and here it says, you must serve leavened bread, or you must serve unleavened bread. Or, look, Craig, you forgot this verse here, and it says, you must serve wine, or you must serve non-alcoholic wine, or you must water down the wine. None of that's in the Bible. And uh, churches have their opinions, their reasons, and we are going to talk about moving from unleavened bread to leavened bread. I want you to hear. We've been thinking about this for a long time. I think I first proposed it uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago, and uh, it, it didn't gain any traction, so it, the issue was dropped. I, I mean traction among the elders. I'm talking about everyone. And then it was brought up, I don't know, last summer, a year ago, I, I don't remember. And, uh, and, and I wasn't the one who brought it up, by the way. And, and it gained some traction. So, leaven. We read Exodus chapter 13. And we read Luke chapter 13. Now, Exodus chapter 13, we all understand that. This was Israel's covenant with God. And annually, they came up to the tabernacle, the temple, for the Passover, and they eliminated all leaven from their borders. 
and they ate unleavened bread for a week. And this was to commemorate coming out of Egypt, the leaven, unleavened bread signifying that they had to leave in haste. And they slaughtered a lamb, and they ate that lamb, and they burned what was left, and they took the blood of that lamb, and they painted it up all around their door. And then they went inside, and they waited. And when the call came, they came out. They came out through the blood, like a new birth, a child being born. And they crossed the Red Sea. And in the Red Sea, Paul tells us that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Suddenly, they were Moses' people. And they were told then that this was to be an annual festival, the Passover. So every year, uh, when they came into the land, you would go up to Jerusalem and you would participate in the Passover. Every year at Passover, a Passover lamb would be slaughtered, sacrificed. Every year, they would eat unleavened bread for one week. And we know from this that all of that was to signify that they left the bondage of Egypt with all their gods, they somehow snuck some of them out, you discover in Amos, with all of their gods, they left them behind, and they left the pagan Egyptian culture behind. So they took no leaven. They participated in no leaven to represent they were free from that culture, those gods, those dictators, that bondage. Now they're free. They were commanded to go into the land. And once they got into the land, the manna in the wilderness ceased. And now they have to plant their own trees, plant their own crops live their own lives. And they were commanded to still every first month of the, first of, of the year come up to where God puts his name and participate in the festival of Passover with unleavened bread. But 50 days later in the new land, they were commanded to participate in another festival. You can find this in several places in the Old Testament, but particularly Luke chapter 23, all the festivals are list, listed there, all the, all the Sabbaths, seven of them, seven Sabbaths. So on Pentecost, on Pentecost, they would have a Sabbath rest, and they would have what? Unleavened bread? No. Leavened bread. That was the command. Why? Because leaven is an agent of fermentation. And it can re represent good or bad. We have to confess that mostly in the Bible it represents bad, but not 
always. So Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus warns his disciples, Be fair, beware of the leaven of Herod. What was Herod's leaven? Well, Herod was your typical ruler. And his leaven was, is to eat his people. And in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 6, excuse me, Herod holds a platter in the first story with John the Baptist's head on it. And in the second story, Jesus is handing out food. One is eating his people, the other is feeding his. Beware of the leaven of Herod. In Matthew chapter 6, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So now the Sadducees are included. And the Sadducees, of course, were those who only accepted certain parts of the Old Testament. And the Sadducees were those who did not believe in resurrection. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the disciples, you know, they hear this and they think, oh, 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 wait, beware of the leaven. We, we forgot bread. No, they figured out, no, we didn't forget bread. He's not talking about bread. He's talking about leaven that goes into bread being like teaching. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees. So you see, in all these cases, leaven's not good. We see it again in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. A little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. Of course, we all know that because I know, I know this would be hard for you to believe, but when we were in seminary, we lived right down there in an apartment across the street from the seminary, and I would walk Grace to work in the evening because she, she worked, I guess it was afternoon to late evening, and I would come home, and do you know what my duty was? It was to make bread. I made bread the old-fashioned way, not with a KitchenAid. So, Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Once you stick a little leaven in your dough, you can't stop it. It's going to expand, and that ball of flour is just going to silently grow. And in Galatians, he's talking about the teaching of the Judaizers. You must be circumcised to be saved. So we have to say, yes, it's true, leaven generally in the Bible is a depiction of something you don't want, something evil. But that's not always the case, because in Leviticus at the Feast of Weeks, of course, you have leaven in your bread. And in certain thank offerings that went along with the peace offering, you didn't unleaven the bread, you leavened the bread. So over here, you have teaching that permeates bread and it's rotten teaching. You don't want that leaven. And over here, you have leaven that permeates, well, what does it permeate? People. And it's biblical teaching. You want that leaven. 
everybody's going to be leavened. Right? It just depends on which kind of leaven you take in. Everybody's going to be leavened. Just what leaven are you going to take in? We know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus, on uh, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he passed it among his disciples and he said, take eat, this is my body, do this as my memorial. It was at a Passover meal that he did this. So we know the bread that he was using was unleavened bread. Can't get around it. That's just what it is. But you, you know, a lot of churches, well, they use leavened bread. Some have thought it through. Some probably thought nothing about it, just did it. But the question is, what kind of bread does the Lord want on his table? Does he want leavened or unleavened? Or does he care? Now, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Just fun facts to know and tell. My favorite book, Hebrews. For, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, well, he finds fault with people who were under the covenant. Why? Because the covenant was on stone. And it couldn't change people. He didn't operate inside of them. Words on stone. So it says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with them, with their fathers, on the day that when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. I mean, that was almost immediate, wasn't it? And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, excuse me, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying 
know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. All of these things, all of these provisions you can find in the Old Testament. Then he says, for, because I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Okay, so there's a covenant. It's the Mosaic Covenant. It includes the book of Exodus. It includes the book of Leviticus. It includes the book of Numbers. It includes the book of Deuteronomy. All of this is all centered around the same covenant. That covenant is not simply 10 words. It's 613 commandments and prohibitions. And it has a whole cultist system within it, whereby there's a tabernacle that finally becomes a temple. So when this old covenant, which is becoming obsolete, is about to disappear, well then everything associated with it is going to disappear. God is not going to be in covenant with his people that way anymore because they didn't keep it. The temple's gonna go, the sacrifices are gonna go, the rituals are gonna go, the Passover is going to go, the Feast of Weeks is going to go, the Feast of Trumpets is going to go, the Feast of Tabernacles is going to go. It's all going, it's all under one covenant. And it comes to fruition in Christ. Hence, I, Howard Marshall, wrote a book called Last Supper and Lord's Supper, meaning when Jesus did Passover and out of it came the Lord's Supper, there was not to be Passover anymore. There was not to be regulations about unleavened bread anymore. The old covenant is becoming obsolete and it is ready to disappear. Now, is it wrong to set leaven on the Lord's table? Mm, probably not. The question is, is it right to set leavened bread on the Lord's table? Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. So my time's going to run out on me, I'm sure. So I had, I had Hyde read for us verses, uh, verses 10 through 21 of chapter 13. And uh, I'm sure you know this story well. Just recently in our Bible reading as a church, we read this story where Jesus uh, sees a lady who's, you know, just bent over, can't straighten up. Any of you remember Mr. Songenberg? Sonnenberg? That's how, that's how he was. He'd come by, and as he's coming by you, he put out his hand to steady himself because he's all bent over. And this woman was bent over for 18 years. It was on the Sabbath day. 
the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus says to her, your bondage is over. Puts her hands on her, I don't know how. And all of a sudden, this woman that's been like this for 18 years is up like this. And the synagogue official, really trying to get at Jesus, says to the people, there are six days you can come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath. Why? Because you, <laughs> you reach your hands out and you touch somebody and that's work? Yeah, you know, that means you couldn't touch your kids on the Sabbath or anything. I mean, it's just ludicrous. It's Jewish legalism. And Jesus confronts it for what it is. It's a bunch of nonsense. Even your animals. Do you remember the law? The law about the Sabbath? You have to give rest to your animals on the Sabbath. They get the day off too. But what you don't get off on the Sabbath is taking your donkey or your ox out to get watered. Because you can't rest if you don't have water. They're going to relax just like you. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes are just hypocrites. And they're the kind of people who don't know how to respond, and so what do they do? They just get mad. Well, so then we see the story, and we, we like the story, I'm assuming. And just look down, if you would, at verse 17. Excuse me, verse 18. It says, therefore, he was saying. So we go through this story. He's confronted his opponents. They're humiliated. The people are just gleefully full of joy for all the glorious things that are going on. And then the text says, therefore. We're drawing some kind of conclusion now. These two parables, if you go to Matthew, these two parables are back-to-back, -back, just like here, but they're not in the same scenario. Here, this is based on what Jesus has just done and the response of the synagogue official, and this is what it says. Therefore, he was saying, what is the kingdom, uh, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air rested in it, in its branches. Now, of course, if you've grown up in a certain kind of tradition, like I grew up in, 
you were taught that those birds were evil. And the next parable, which is the parable of the leaven, you were taught that that leaven was evil. And the kingdom was going to just be like this and just keep going downhill, downhill, downhill. Worse, 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 worse. Boom, Jesus comes. Does that look like that in this context? I say to you, no. It doesn't look like that. It looks like Jesus said, you know, here's this woman all bent over. And here comes the king. And the king puts his hands on her. Boom! She's up straight. That's what it looks like to me. I got five more minutes. Which means 15. (laughs) So then Jesus tells another parable. And it's the parable of, this is translated pex. I prefer the word measure. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Now, tell me, does three make any difference? Tell me, does the woman who's bound for 18 years make any difference? Could it have been 17 or 19? The answer is no. This is inspiration. Three measures? Could it have been four? No, this is inspiration. Does that mean something? Yes. Am I absolutely sure I know what it means? Well, a hair or two from it. So up above, there's a story about the Tower of Siloam that fell on 18 people and killed them. You suppose all others in Jerusalem were worse sinners than those? No, I tell you, but if you don't repent you will likewise perish. There's a tree. And the owner of the tree comes by for three years and no fruit. And he says, cut it down. And the vineyard dresser says, oh, no, 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 no. Let's just dung it one more year. Then if it brings forth fruit, good. If not, cut it down. Oh, so we got a three and an 18 right in the stories above. So one thing we know is what Jesus is saying about 18. This woman's been bound like this for 18 years. Was she some worse sinner than all the rest? No, she wasn't. So there's an implicit threat. You'll likewise perish, but she didn't perish. And this tree that has no fruit, it's a fig tree, it's like Israel. Are they gonna perish? Well, a lot of them are going to perish. Because if you read on in the rest of the chapter, Jesus says, I have to go this day and the next day and one more day. And then he he uses three days. All this is being glued together. It's not just haphazardly there. It's the spirit at work in his artistry. 
his literary ability. And he's letting us know. Ah, three days, three measures of wheat. Uh, well, you know, lots of times if you just take the time to think, but of course, you have to have uh, delved into the Bible or have good cross-references. And if you think about three measures of wheat, you know this is not the first time this came up in the Bible. And there are some folks out there who think, well, you know, that story way back in Genesis has nothing to do with this story here. But sure enough, it does. If you read the rest of the chapter, it's, the question is, who's going to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And back in chapter 18 of Genesis, here come three angels. One of them is the angel of the Lord. And Abraham, he says, oh, sit down and take some rest. Let me feed you a morsel. And he runs to his wife, Sarah, and he says, yeah, uh, get three measures of wheat and knead it. Then he runs out and he fills, kills the fatted calf. And, and the guys end up with this huge meal. Leavened bread. Meat, red meat. Butter and milk. Doesn't sound like modern people, does it? Well, three measures of wheat. A measure of wheat is three omers. Ten omers make up an ephah. An ephah is about equal to a bushel. So these three measures here in Luke and way back in the story of Sarah and Abraham is equal to about a 40-pound box of flour. Now, if you need that and bake it, how much bread do you have? A whole lot of bread. Now, is the leaven here positive or negative? Well, if I'm looking at it right, it's positive. making us know you stick leaven in and it just keeps growing and growing and bent over ladies pop up in the kingdom or if you go all the way back to Genesis to its source as soon as this meal is made the angel says about this time next year your wife's going to have a child Oh, I had fun with this yesterday because I was counseling a couple who's going to get married. So Sarah laughed. And what did she say? My Lord, being so old, will I have pleasure with him? So, like Peter reminds us, all women should call their husbands Lord. If you do, you might get smacked upside of the head, but, you know. Right with that growing dough ball, 40 pounds needed. About this time next year, your wife's going to have a child. You know what that picture is? It's a picture of Sarah 
being leavened. Jesus is talking about Israel and beyond being leavened. So when we come to the table, one of two things can happen. We can eat unleavened bread. Remind us of everything we left back there. We're not going to get mixed up in that junk anymore. Or we can eat leavened bread, which is the teaching of Jesus, the infusion of the Spirit, the leaven in the dough, making it expand. It's potent. It's powerful. And it changes things. So I'll tell you what I think. I think on the table, he said, leavened bread. You eat it, because when you come to the table, Jesus is remembering you, and you, like a married couple, you eat him, and his bread is potent. There's no magic here. I'm not saying that. It changes you. And across from the bread, you put wine. Why? Because the spirit is compared to wine. Your love, honey, is better than grape juice. I don't think so. It doesn't work. Because wine is fermented and it's powerful. It's dangerous. Hence, all the warnings. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Eat that leaven. Ah, it's the potency of God in your life. You drink that wine. Ah, it's the power of God in your life. Now, are we all going to agree on this? Doubt it. Doubt it. And it's not a place to judge people over. And so on our tray, we have wine. I think, you know, if I could control everybody's mind, I can't even control my own, so don't have to worry too much. If I could control everybody's mind, you'd all think it should be wine. You don't, for various reasons. I don't know all your reasons. I don't need to know. But I do think that's what the Bible teaches. If I could control over your minds, I can't. I would say leavened bread. And the elders would like to change to leavened bread. But a lot of people here have grown up and passed through churches they loved, dearly loved, where they were taught, as we were taught here for years. No, it has to be unleavened. Let me remind you. What is obsolete is about to perish. When AD 70 came around, the leftover old covenant was dead. The temple was dead. The worship was dead. The Jews were dead. The Passover was dead. The laws about leaven and unleavened were dead. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Old Testament has a lot to teach us. We need to read it. We need to think about it. And there might be a place, for example, where at some point in the year we would go
go back to leaven, I mean to unleavened bread, because for a space of time, we're going to remember what God has brought us out from. And then return to leavened bread, because we're going to look to Jesus. Oh, now I wish we were singing that song. Uh, we're going to look to Jesus for what he's going to do with us individually, but not so much individually. Remember, this is corporately, all of us together, because we partake of one loaf. We are one body. Stand with me. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to contemplate, think, and that your spirit would be in working in us to bring us into unity. We thank you for Israel of old who learned lessons from the unleavened grain offerings that they gave to you and the unleavened weak. And we thank you that when they came into the promised land, at the Feast of Weeks, they had leavened bread. When Jesus entered into heaven and thrust Satan down, also proceeded forth the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we thank you that he is here with us as a church. And we thank you that he owns our bodies because we've been bought with a price and he lives in us. So now as we move to eat with you, we pray that you would bless our time for Christ's sake. Amen.